Hello and welcome to Game and Watch, the podcast where we talk about games we've been gaming and TV shows and movies we have been watching. My name is Aaron. And my name is James. Uh, and I did not clarify this is Game and Watch with Aaron and James. You the didn't podcast, need to. We to might not even need name. to say that anymore. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but today uh, we have a little bit of a different episode. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, we're doing a, a horror episode. It is October, and Halloween is next weekend, and we figured we would do a run-through of... Well, we want to talk briefly about horror movies and horror video games in general, um, but you know, we're planning on providing our top five favorite horror movies and horror sequences in video games. Um, sequences is kind of broad. It could be really horror moments or we'll see how we both decided to interpret that. We didn't really have, have strict structure on this. It was um, like, purposely vague, um, yeah. which, I, which I think is important because I think the nature of, of horror, uh, is, you know, unique to each person. Exactly. And I, and I personally love ranking things as much as it tortures me, um, so yeah, this was uh, this was a delightful and infuriating experience that I inflicted <laughs> upon myself. Uh, yeah, it was it was a fairly low impact experience for me. I have a Good. feeling that <laughs> I, I have a feeling that you're probably already going to guess a lot of mine uh, anyway, just because uh, you know me yes. quite well and things we've talked about on the podcast. I think but we're going to share some movies on our top fives. I, I'm guessing definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think I think that's all part of the fun. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we were probably we were gonna start this off by just talking about horror movies and video games again generally. Um, I would say that, and maybe our history with them, and you know, not that our history is any different than a lot of other people's, but I, you know, I have a distinct memory of seeing Night of the Living Dead when I was very little. I think I snuck downstairs and saw my parents watching it, and like the lights were on. It's not like it was like a real true scary experience, but I think I must have been like six years old. And it was the very opening uh, scene of Night of the Living Dead. Um, you had the black and white version, like the 19, what was it, 58 or 68 or whatever it was, um, version. And, it, you know, the idea, like the, the prosthetics, you know, not that great. I mean, it was an older movie and such. But the idea of this, like, woman being chased through a cemetery um, or, like, and I guess and a man being, cha- like, attacked in a cemetery by, I don't know what it was. I didn't know what a zombie was. And I don't think I even knew... After that sequence, but that traumatized me. Uh, not, not you know, not forever. I just, I you know, I had nightmares. Um, but I also developed a very curious fascination with that feeling of being scared. And I would say that I just generally like being scared. Um, I don't like being upset. And I don't know if that's, I don't know how to distinguish the two. I would say like, being upset in a in a horror movie sense that is could lean on some really sensitive disturbing topics and just kind of gore and violence with less of a purpose um not that i don't enjoy being shocked i just feel like there's a difference and i don't know if you can articulate it any better than i can but there's this kind of i, I i'm all for a movie that really goes for the jugular but it, it if if there seems to be less artistic integrity behind it and it's really just meant to like physically or mentally upset its audience, I, I don't always I don't always jive with that. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of this idea that um, horror or w- what's scary is subjective, right? It's, as we said, yeah. you know, what's scary to you is not necessarily scary to me. But I, I think in general, when I think about specifically movies and video games, more visual mediums for horror, I think uh, you can have something that's scary or frightening working on a very visual level. And that yeah. is things more like gore, disturbing imagery, things like that. And you can also have it working on more of like a cerebral level, like what you are seeing is not frightening, but the context um, and, you know, what's going on underneath uh, the idea of it is very frightening. Yes. Um, And I think kind of horror sings when it when it manages to bring those two things together. I absolutely believe, though, you can have effective uh, horror with those two things separately. And what I mean by that is I think you can have really fun horror um, where it's just that kind of visual, visceral kind of like roller coaster like rush of like a haunted house. Yes. Um, where you're just seeing a lot of like scary pop up, you know, jump scare type things. Um, I think there's absolutely a time and a place for that kind of horror. I think, it, you know, you can go fully the other way where, you know, you're not seeing a lot of frightening imagery, but the ideas um, and the kind of the, you know, the, the situations that are going on are so upsetting um, that works for horror. Um, so I, I don't think there's any one right way to do it. Um, yeah. I think each one of those methods can you know work great. Uh, I think they can also blow up in you know a director's face. So. Yeah, and I think that, and also the difference, like you said, it's, it's very subjective, and the difference between what scares me and what upsets me can be very unique to me and different than other people. I'm sure I could describe a movie that is not upsetting to me, and they'll be like, that absolutely made me want to throw up, <laughs> or yeah. just like turn the movie off. Yeah. Um, you know. Interestingly, I would say so. It, horror movies versus horror video games is is an interesting thing to, to to go into because movies are more easily digestible. You know, they're shorter, right? Um, I would say that you know, in my history, I not I was exposed to horror movies earlier on, so obviously I have a larger history with horror movies. But horror video games, I mean, video games are an investment of time, and it may it has made me unable to play as many games as i want and as much as i love horror i don't always actively seek out horror video games sometimes they're bad poorly reviewed sometimes i'm worried it's like well you know if if that doesn't work then i'm going to want to put the game down like if this sequence that everyone is so upset by or everyone's so like is, is raving about if that doesn't work for me then like maybe the rest of the game won't work for me and so i do need a little more in my horror video games generally in terms of like plot Though some of the ones that I'm going to name are not as plot heavy, um, but you know, you know what I mean. Like it's just so much. It's more easy to just be like, you know what, I'm gonna do later today. I'm gonna pop on this horror movie I've never even heard of, and it's over in an hour and a half. And I've had that experience, and it, it's great. But at the same time, I also think that horror movies and like horror, sorry, horror sequences in video games and horror video games, when horror works for video games, it it. it is more effective on me mentally, which is what I want, than a horror movie. And I think that's often just because you're behind the wheel. You're you're in control. I think, yeah, and I think that's a huge element of, of horror is the, the control aspect. And I think that's what makes – I think you touched on two things there. I think, one, uh, horror movies, I think, have a disposable element to them more so than other films – um, kind of like you mentioned, like you can just sit down with a random horror movie, you know, you could go on shutter and just pick something at random yeah. and spend 90 minutes watching it. And then if it's good, maybe remember it. If it's not, you know, it's not, it doesn't ruin your day. And then, you know, you move on with your life. 
Um, I don't know why that is. Do you do you agree? Do you agree that horror movies, for whatever reason, like just feel much more disposable? Like you can yes. sit down and kind of. And I, I can't put my finger on why that is exactly, but I, I think you're right. And the other thing too, I think that that makes that horror kind of stick with you in a video game is that um, you are not passive, right? You are controlling this character who is trying to escape these these circumstances. If it's an effective horror game, you know, maybe they do escape, maybe they don't. But either way, your character is going to be, um, like, damaged and frightened in the process. Yeah, and along the lines of it being disposable, like horror movies at least, I mean, I guess across both video games and movies, it is very difficult, I think, to do horror correctly. It is the genre I think is the hardest to do. And maybe I'm just being romantic about the horror genre, but there are a lot of bad horror movies I enjoy, but I also think that there are so few horror movies that affect me. Or horror video games, too. But I guess I'm mostly thinking about movies at the moment. Well, like that's the, yeah, and that, and yeah. that's it. Because there are plenty of horror movies that I, I like and I would recommend, but I wouldn't say were effective as horror films. Like, they did not frighten me. Yeah. Um, like, I, I can understand on paper why someone would be frightened by them or by ideas in them. But um, to me personally, I did not find them frightening. Yeah, um, which and- is which is also kind of a weird thing for the genre because, like, I don't know that you would recommend things in the same way in different genres. For example, I don't know that I would recommend um, a comedy movie where I was like, I didn't laugh a single time. Right. Kind of, kind of saw what they were going for with the comedy. Still, a plus unquestioned recommendation for this comedy movie that I did not in any way find funny. <laughs> right? Like that's yeah. very weird, but I've done that with horror movies. It's like, listen, absolutely. I don't find, I don't find the ideas, I, you know, it didn't jump me. It didn't frighten me, but like, I absolutely think this is worth your time to see. And I, I don't know why that is. I, that's an excellent point. Cause I, I absolutely have done that too. And I, you know, we're going to go into some honorable mentions before we go into our top fives. I, I, I think. And so I think some of those, will fall into that category. They, they might be movies that I like recommend to people and then they'll come back to me and they'll be like, that was fine. I'm like, well, I, I you know, they're like, did you really like it? And I'd be like, yeah, it was good. You're like, so it's not great. I'm like, no, it was, it was good. But it, but it was something I just felt compelled to recommend because maybe it did one thing really well. I mean, there, there, there are some horror movies that I think are just like there's there's some that didn't make my list where I recommend them all over the place, but they you know they're not in my top five. And then when I look at my top five, I would say that maybe only two of them like give me the creeps now, which is interesting. Like there there are movies that didn't make my top five that I think still creep me out, and then there are others. And because so that's that goes to say that's not the only category. Right, like there is a one of the, my picks is kind of half a comedy, and it's still I would call one of my top five horror movies because it's that's the genre I would definitely put it in. Um, but it, it's you know I'm not just relying on something to upset me or, or not upset me, but you know creep me out to to qualify as one of my favorites. But it's the right. feeling that I seek out the most, and when a movie does it effectively, I just oh I love it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, uh, maybe do we, we should ju- get into the movies. Yeah, do you want to jump into it? I, I think no, but I think this is important. I think talking about fear, talking about what makes an effective scare, why or why not. Like, I think those are all good foundational uh, things to discuss before we jump in. Yeah. Because um, I think we're we're both definitely gonna have picks um, that you know 
on paper, if you saw a list of, you know, the five scariest movies or five scariest sequences, uh, you would see it, at least some of my choices, and be like, wait a minute, what? Um, But I think when I talk through it and explain, like, well, this is why I found this frightening or disturbing. Yeah, and and if if I have any questions for you about the reason behind your pick, uh, I will ask, and don't hesitate to ask me as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have a lot of honorable mentions written down. I'm going to Maybe I'll pick like four of them. I have like ten written down. Wow. Okay. I only pick, I was gonna pick one. But. That, no, that's okay. Because I, I I feel like they're all important in their own way in terms of like what scares me. Um. So I have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Um, oh. Okay. As an honorable mention. Um. That the reason I included that one is because it is an example of something that really affects me, which is a older film quality to a horror movie. And I think that's why found footage gets me often. When found footage is done correctly, and I actually don't have a found footage um, example on my top five, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not a found footage movie, but it has a feel of one because it is so low budget, so low quality, and it's like you're just kind of this voyeur following these teenagers to this derelict house and and witnessing the horrors of, of what happens to them. And so I think that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an extremely important horror movie in general, not just for me, but I think for the genre. Um, so I wanted to mention that one. Along the same lines of found footage, uh, a more recent movie, and this is a great example of a movie that I would say is not outstanding, but I've been recommending it to everybody, and that's Hell House LLC. Um, I forget if we've talked about this movie or not. Um you and I do talk about horror movies every, every so often. Um, this is another found footage movie that I think is extremely effective. And what is impressive about it also is that it is not a big budget movie, but not even like, you know, it's, 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 it's only like five years old, six years old, but it is really, really well made for some filmmakers and actors that I don't know if I have seen them in anything else and, or ever will see them again, uh, other than maybe the hell house sequels, which I've yet to watch. Um, and the other uh, I wrote down is the ring, the the Naomi Watts ring, not Ringu, the Japanese, the original Japanese movie, but the ring, and I and that was another one of the kind of the not first horror movies, but as I started when I was a teenager and I started watching more horror movies, that was one of the ones that affected me the most. And I honestly, the tape that's in the ring, the tape you watch before you get the call, seven days. If it was just that tape, that would be in my top five <laughs> because I, okay. to this day, I think that tape is so terrifying and unnerving and I love it. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I can respect that. Yeah. Um, what are any other, any other, uh, okay. Well, of uh, course I have more. I mean, I'll just rattle through some. Sure, I'm not going uh, to go into detail. No. So I, I picked one. Um, <laughs> okay. also just, uh, t- to give you a preview on my selection process for kind of sure. all of these, uh, movies and moments. I, uh, I have been thinking a lot uh, about what to add to my list. Um, but really what I decided was when I first was thinking about, you know, top five scariest movies, uh, you know, the scariest moments from video games. What I, what I was thinking about um, was, like, what comes to my mind first? Like, unbidden, when I just think of that. What sort of, like, yeah. bubbles up? Um, because I didn't want to think about it too hard. I did wind up thinking about it too hard. But at first, I kind of wanted it to be natural. Because I think, like I said earlier, I think, um, like, you only know what is effective horror 
um, with what what kind of stays with you even years later. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's where my honorable mention comes in. Okay. I had to I had to search for this film. Um, it is a 1982 made-for-television t- movie called "Don't Go to Sleep." Uh, it came out in 1982. Uh, it is produced by uh, Aaron Spelling Television. It stars oh, really? uh, Dennis Weaver, Valerie Harper, Ruth Gordon, and Robert Weber. Um, and it is about uh, the ghost of a dead teenage girl who I believe died in a car accident, who um, starts like haunting and hunting down her family members one by one. Okay. Um, and I saw this for the first time when I was a very little kid. I was probably like four or five. Um, in a hotel room uh, with my siblings while uh, we were in, I think it was like Peoria for a soccer tournament. One of them was playing in. And I remember seeing it on TV. I remember there was a sequence where the dead daughter is possessing the ghost of the family iguana. Um, (laughs) And that's a sentence I say fully understanding how absurd it is. Yeah. Um, But the entire sequence is shot from the perspective of the iguana. Um, and I did not rewatch this film in preparation of uh, this recording. I just kind of skimmed the Wikipedia and found that it existed and what it was called and who was in it. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, yes, I'm remembering all these things. Um, but as siblings, we called it the Iguana Cam. Uh, but <laughs> at the time, I just I thought it was such a frightening idea that, like, you lose a loved one, right? You lose your sister, and yeah. that's horrifying enough. But then to have them come back and possess your pet iguana and use it to frighten your grandmother to death. And all these various other things. Like, I just think that was, uh, even as a small child, having siblings, and I'm sure you could probably relate because you have many siblings, the idea that losing one is scary, but losing one uh, is frightening. And then having them come after you, after death, is is even more frightening. So, yeah, that'll be an honorable mention. Again, I haven't actually seen the movie in its entirety since I was a small child. Um, I just, I, it just, it never left me. It stuck with you. That's, that's important. Yeah. Um, all right, we can get into to the, the top fives. Um, and I, as I look through my list, and so when I say it, it was, this was frustrating or ag- agonizing, I actually came up with this top five very quickly, and I didn't change it, and that's probably what's frustrating about it, is I, I could change this tomorrow. Like, there's just, oh, there's so many things that I want to put in this top five that I can't, but at the same time, I'm also, like, I'm really picky about what I kind of included his criteria for this and and as also as I look at this again I I would so if you ask me like my top five in a lot of other genres I don't think that my top five would resemble the like top 10 to top 20 kind of like of this genre that you would find just by doing a google search for random articles but now when I look at these top five horror movies these are a lot of names that you're probably going to hear if you ask any, like, if you ask, like, a film critic, like, what their favorites are, and I'm not as eloquent as a film critic, and I'm not going to be able to explain this to you as well as, or by you, I mean whoever's listening, as well as, like, a film critic could, but, like, I'm almost kind of <laughs> disgusted with myself for these picks, but when I, but they, I, they feel very true to me, because they, re- these are really just, so, regardless of whether, how much they scare me, or whether they scare me, these are just, my, I think, my favorite horror movies, um, so my my number five is Evil Dead Two. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I I was waiting for that comedy one. Yeah, that, that's yeah. it. That's the one. I mean, unless you, yeah, you know, there was a couple others that if you thought were comedies, I'd be a little worried about you. But uh, <laughs> uh, Evil Dead Two uh, is a interesting evolution slash copy of Evil Dead One. Um, well, it's like Evil Dead One, but they had money. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And but they also got a little silly with it, which is funny. Like the Evil Dead 2 is very funny and it is very gross. 
and it's delightful. Um, I, I would say this movie does not scare me. I would say Evil Dead 1, when I first saw it, uh, I was very scared. Uh, I maybe saw it a little too young, but um, this one doesn't. Maybe because I'd already seen one, and it's largely repeating some of the events of Evil Dead 1. Um, but it is just, uh, in terms of, like, camera work, in terms of, like, the tone, it is just... It's unlike anything I had ever seen at the time, and I don't know if I've seen anything that's completely nailed that balance of horror and comedy in the same way since as Evil Dead 2. Yeah, and I like I've seen uh, obviously a lot of Sam Raimi work, um, and he he often walks that line of horror and comedy, and yeah. it works. I would say Evil Dead 2 is the pinnacle of that tightrope yeah. walk. I think something like Drag Me to Hell. He got uh, kind of is- close with that one. He he did. It was more uh, horror, though. Yeah, it was. It was more horror, and it which made the the uh, comedy bits stand out a little bit more. Yeah. Um. I I think Evil Dead Two is like a pretty almost perfect synthesis of those two things. Yeah. What's your number five? So my number five, I uh, am again wandering into made-for-TV movie territory. Interesting. Um, and again, like, I, this is, again, this is, I, I don't think, listen, if you put a gun to my head and Aliens landed tomorrow, and it's like, listen, you're you're recommending to the Aliens these are the top five scariest things to see? No, not necessarily, right? Yeah. This is just, these are the five, like, unbidden bubble up to the top of the surface of my head. Also, too, these are, like, I tried to think of things throughout my entire life, right? When I was a kid. Yeah, right. When I was a young adult. Now, like, things that are scary. So, in that vein, also I wanted to be kind of representative of this almost mini genre of the Stephen King adaptation, right? Yes. Um, and so, so my, I have the 1995 made-for-TV series, The Langoliers. Oh, um, I haven't seen that one. It's not the one I was expecting. Whoa, you, to say. you haven't seen no, that one? I haven't. You haven't seen the '95 with with Bronson Pinchot, the with uh, <laughs> no. Balky for Perfect Strangers, who no, like becomes I've, an unhinged maniac. I could like I could like picture like like the the poster or just like the, the just still images from this, but no, I never oh, I never saw it. I remember seeing it advertised. Never seen the Langoliers. Okay, no, I gotta watch. So it. the Langoliers, like every Stephen King adaptation or every Stephen King anything really, completely falls apart at the end, right? Stephen King doesn't know how to end uh, stories no, for yeah. the most part. Uh, but it's it's a, a very intriguing setup, right? So you have this group of people on a plane on a cross country flight. And they wake up, and the plane is empty, right? Um, and they quickly realize that everyone who was awake on the plane is gone, and that the only reason that they are still there is because they happen to be asleep. They land the plane uh, at this random uh, tiny airport in Maine, because of course Stephen King, of course. Maine. Um, but it's empty, and there's no one. There's no one in the world. They don't know where everyone went. Um, and then, kind of, each of the characters kind of deals with that information in different ways. Um, as I mentioned before, Balky from Perfect Strangers, played by uh, Bronson Pin- Pinchot, Pinchot, yeah, something, um, like that. something like that, uh, delivers like an A plus performance of just a businessman who completely unravels in a very cuckoo bananas, hilarious 1995 miniseries <laughs> way. But uh, just that again, different things are scary to different people. But that idea of just kind of waking up. And where being alone, where is everyone? Uh, that not understanding why. Um, like I, I think, uh, to me, what frightens me a lot are very uncanny things. Um, just yeah, everything is normal about the world except for one big thing that is not normal, and that that really frightens me. Uh, I, I think that's at, at play in a lot of Lovecraft work. Yes, um, at play in it, David Lynch. Oh, films. definitely. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is one I. I 
I'm shocked I didn't mention it earlier too, because it, it is one of the things that is most intriguing and exciting and scary to me. Yeah, and that that's pretty much what this film does, right? Um, it, yeah. What also wisely, I, I recommend you watch it at some point. Not not on the top of your list, but uh, I think what it does effectively is like it saves kind of all the supernatural stuff for kind of the very end. There is supernatural stuff peppered throughout, mm-hmm. but really it just deals with like, all right, you're with like a group of ten other people. Everyone in your flight has disappeared. Everyone in the world has disappeared. Like. What do you do? Like, what do you talk about? Like, how does your brain process or handle that? Or how doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so for that reason, I, I'm putting uh, the Langoliers at, at number five. I love it. I, our lists are going to look so different, I think. And yeah. it's, it's so exciting to me. Uh, I'm going to get like five recommendations from you. Um, yeah. Or maybe maybe less. Uh, my number four is Alien. Um, Ooh, I I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted yeah, to be Alien on there. I... I and this and this isn't one of those situations where it's like, oh, do I put Alien or Aliens? Like I, I number one, Aliens. I don't think it's a horror movie. I would never put it on a no, horror movie I list. Agree. Number two, yeah. it's just I've I've always liked Alien more. And this is another one that I saw when I was younger. Um, my mom's pretty into horror movies, maybe not as much anymore. And I think maybe she didn't, might not have the stomach for some of them nowadays. Um, but. She likes this movie a lot. I think she showed it to me, and I loved it. Um, I was really into sci-fi, well, now and always. Um, and so the idea of bringing a, it's almost like like a, um, to take you know the creature takes everyone out one by one, kind of like your your classic like Halloweens and all that kind of stuff. Like, but just put it in space. I think it was pitches Jaws in space, right? Um, yeah, and it. It's so effective. Um, it's so well done. Like, it, there's a lot of really good actors here that are kind of not doing a whole lot, and I don't mean that as an insult to their performances. You give John Hurt in this movie. Like, are you kidding me, John Hurt? Like, Sigourney Weaver, like a young Sigourney Weaver. Like, it, this 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 cast is great. And well, what I I think is brilliant too about yeah. the setup is if you think. Alien on the loose, you think, oh, like a team of astronauts or scientists or someone is going to stop the alien. Yeah. But no, it's just they wisely are like, no, these are very blue collar, ordinary people. Like, this yep. is not at all in their wheelhouse, which like really adds to the terror even more. Like, yes. An, a, you know, a scientist or an astronaut who studies aliens or who, you know, is at least somewhat equipped for this threat, but these people are not. And I think that makes the movie all, all the better for it. Yes. And then there is, and I'm, I guess, Maybe spoiler alert in general for some of these that we're going to get into. I'm not going to do plot summaries of all these, but like there is another layer of kind of terror here and it's a, it's a much more like subdued kind. And that's the idea that like there's someone in your own crew that's working against you at the same time. Yes. And that, that reveal, I remember when I was younger, I was blown away. I was like, they could maybe have been succeeding this whole time in, in eliminating this threat if it weren't for this piece of shit <laughs> android. Um, so, well, yeah. And, and it creates the terror of, like, uh, you know, small picture terror, right? We have this alien that we have this issue we have to deal with in the moment, but also big picture terror. That yeah. like these, you know, this giant mega corporation really doesn't care if you live or die, right? Right. They just, you know, they just want exactly. this thing. Yep. Yeah. So I'm guessing your number four is Rose Red, and so tell me why. <laughs> well, Rose Matter. Uh, no, uh, my number four is uh, is the Babadook. 
Oh, love um, it. Yeah, The Babadook, a movie that, again, it's just, you know, I was thinking, what really scared me? This movie immediately popped into my mind. That's uh, This um, was another one of my many honorable mentions that I wrote down. Yeah, The, the Babadook, uh, a 2014 Australian film. Uh, it was the directorial debut of, I believe, uh, Jennifer Kent is her name. Yes. Um, uh, you know, small budget, did extremely, extremely well, but... Um, yeah, the Babadook. So again, we don't need to go over the entire plot summary, but um, I think it's really a movie about grief. Uh, at yes, the end of the day, absolutely. Um, and I think what disturbed me the most about this film is there there is absolutely a supernatural element of this film, and I enjoy that they don't shy away from that. Like at the conclusion of the film, like there is a reconciliation of the supernatural, which is still very much real in the film. Yes, with kind of the actual psychological trauma the characters are going through. But I, I think there's a part in the middle of this film that really, really uh, affected me, where in the middle of the film, you're not exactly sure if the Babadook is real or if the mother is kind of slowly unraveling. Like, her, she is slowly unraveling, like, her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but the film does a pitch-perfect job of shifting your uh, suspicion or, the, you know, the character you feel tension towards. Unfortunately, it's, the, it's her child, right? And then yeah. as the movie progresses, it pivots towards your, your, all your tension and all your kind of anxiety is towards the mother. And especially around the middle of the film, as she becomes more unhinged, it, the, there, are, there are moments where you doubt, like, is the Babadook real? Yeah. Um, or is it all in her head? And is she doing these things? Like, did she put the book back together? And that, to me, is very frightening. That not that there's this monster, but that, you know, if you're a little kid, that your mother is so untethered from reality that she is going to hurt you, that she is doing things to frighten you, and also that she doesn't know that she's doing it, potentially. Yeah. Um, that I just, I, I can't, you know, I couldn't get away from that feeling. Like, it stayed with me for such a long time. And I think part of it is because uh, the, the the child in the film is so young, and his he, the actor they got to play him, his name escapes me. I didn't look it up. Um, but it, it's so effective. Like, I think if, if the Babadook, if the child in it were, say, like, 13, 14, um, it would be so much less scary because when you're at that age, you are slightly more equipped if your mother kind of, you know, becomes to completely unhinged and terrifying. But the child in the in the Babadook is so little that he still kind of, no matter what, is at the mercy of his mother, good, yeah. bad, or otherwise. And yeah. I found that to be extremely scary. Then you talking about horror movies about grief made me want to just do another shout out to another uh Honorable mention of mine, which is Antichrist, <laughs> another mm-hmm. horror movie about grief. Again, not shout out, not shout out to the Antichrist, uh, but to the movie Antichrist. Well, he's out there. He's and out there. We, we might as well get him on our side now. Yeah, and you know what? Yeah. Speaking of that, or uh, her, my, or yeah, or that it. Uh, or my number, they. My, my number three is Hereditary, uh, and I'm not gonna, uh, okay. I'm not gonna say anything else yeah. about it because we have a whole podcast on it. Uh, um, I, just, I think it's one of the best modern horror movies. Uh, at, you know. It's it's incredible. I almost wanted to put it higher, but the other two, I just don't think I can unseat my top two. Um, I you know I'm putting Hereditary at number three, so why don't we just camp out on Hereditary? That was on my list too. Awesome. Um, I mean, you know, we've done an entire episode about Hereditary, but give me like your one to two sentence pitch on why Hereditary deserves to be considered a horror masterpiece. Uh, it is relentlessly terrifying and is one of the best examples of horror movies in general especially modern horror maybe with the exception of my number one at creating a horror atmosphere that 
you are just consumed by and it's it's like you can't breathe throughout the entire movie it is so relentlessly terrifying yeah and uh throwing it onto that i would say also effective horror uh which this does very well is it marries uh the very outsized kind of over the top horror with very uh, grounded real horror right yes so we grief. have the very there you go gr- well yeah gr- grief just um you know, family uh, drama in general, like families not uh, working together, I guess, mm-hmm. is a really open, generous yeah. way of describing what happens to this family. Um, but I, yeah, I think it successfully marries that like domestic, very real horror with this very outsized kind of, you know, otherworldly demonic horror. Yeah. Yeah. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is also in the Ari Aster uh, playbook, oh. Mid- Midsummer. Oh, I did not um, expect yeah, you to have both Midsummer. in here. I and I, I really fought against that, but again, it's just what bubbles up to the surface of my mind. And both Hereditary and Midsummer, and I think it's because Ari Aster is very, very good at what he does. Um, I, I wanted to put The Witch or The Lighthouse on here. I wanted to have I did too. Uh, some diversity, but again, I just went with my gut. I, I went with you know what bubbles up first. Um, and you know, it was hereditary and then back to back midsummer. Um, I do find, and again, I go back and forth, which is scarier, midsummer hereditary. Yeah. When I was, when I was making this list, you know, I went with my gut. I put midsummer higher. If you ask me to make this list tomorrow, I might put hereditary higher. You know, it's, it's not set in stone, but I think particularly for midsummer, what's disturbing to me about that is, um, not necessarily the horrible imagery, not necessarily um, a lot of the things in it, but just really that central uh, idea at the end of how you as a human being could be um, damaged enough to basically join a cult and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that idea is frightening to me for a number yeah. of reasons. Like cults frighten me. I, I'm big into like true crime and fascinated with you know real life horrifying situations like the the idea of Jonestown when I heard about Jonestown and what that was and that 900 people willing well the when you actually look into the details of it they didn't do it willingly it was kind of murder but yeah the story that gets told is that 900 people willingly kind of just threw their own lives away and committed suicide and the idea that you could just be a normal functioning person you meet this group of people and all of a sudden a year later you're in this position where your mind has been so turned around that you are very willingly to like to destroy yourself or to destroy others. And that's okay with you um, is very, very frightening to me. Yeah. Um, so the whole, everything at the end um, with Danny, Danny's turn um, really speaks to me. And I think we could argue all day about like, well, you know, is this, is Danny going to join them? Is this a good thing? Is that, you know, those yeah. discussions can be had at another time. But in our just, episode that we're going to In our, in our episode that we will one day do, but just the idea that you could be, um, you could be a quote unquote normal person and then have some damage. Uh, and obviously in Danny's case, the damage is the, the death of her family. Yeah. Um, but you could have some kind of damage that would leave you vulnerable to, uh, people that want to poison your mind so thoroughly is is very disturbing to me. Yeah, and I think Midsummer is a great example of a movie that didn't make my top five. That probably scares me more. That like really like disturbs me more than most, if not all, of the rest of this top five, with the exception of Hereditary. I do think Hereditary is scarier to me, um, but Midsummer is close. You could argue that it's like. I, ha- I couldn't put two Ari Aster movies on my top five. Yeah, and the, I, I respect mean, that you did that. 
I, I think the other thing about Midsummer that works effectively is that it's it's working with fear of the unknown, right? But yep. in this case, the unknown is an unknown culture. Fear is the mind killer. Uh, fear is the mind. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it sure is. Um, but uh, like, I think the the fear of the unknown in, in the Midsummer's case is the fear of the unknown culture. And again, you know, there's been it's been discussed to death. But the idea of I think um, Midsummer takes the viewer's cultural relativism or your willingness to kind of be open-minded to other cultures and completely uses it against you. Yes. Um, in a yep. very, again, scary, effective way. Yeah. So that was my number, whatever we're on two. <laughs> my number two is the thing. Oh, the thing. Okay. The thing. Yes. Please tell me the thing I wanted to put on here. Uh, when we get to my number one, it was uh, I, the, I considered the thing as well. But please tell me why you have the thing. Um, oh man, I don't know if I was even prepared to talk about why I love the thing so much. I, I think you, you and I probably talked about this at length. I think this is pretty much a perfect movie. Yeah. Um, with the exception of the first thirty seconds, uh, and I don't won't go, go into why. Maybe we'll do an episode on it. Um, at some point, but. Well, hopefully not the first 30 seconds. <laughs> not, not just on That'd the first 30 seconds. That'd be quite an episode, yeah. Um, but The Thing is an incredible example. Another example of what I think helps with horror so so much is that you have a bunch of people that are not necessarily military trained. Or they're, they're more closer to the average Joe territory than they are to like the, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and his team in Predator type yeah. um, people. And this feeling of isolation. So if you want to feel really isolated, space is a pretty good setting for a movie. Another good setting, Antarctica or wherever the hell they are. (laughs) Like the middle of nowhere in like a snowy science research facility. And yeah, yeah, there are, of course, there's some Lovecraft elements to the thing. I won't do an essay on that. Um, But the idea of an alien creature that can take the form of people you know and you're there's only so many people that you have around you in this in this isolated setting and this thing wants you all dead is so terrifying to me um and i also think that the i mean you could just leave it at that there could just be you could never actually see what the creature looks like or just see any of like kind of the gross you know creature effects that this movie ha- does have but i think the fact that it has these very disturbing moments uh with you know not not too many but like this kind of like gory you know tentacles you know you know what i mean like teeth and all, all those, those yeah. kinds of like um i don't know like this i don't know how to put it just these gross creature effects I think it's, it makes it's, the movie even more scary. Well, because it's it's gross creature effects, but also it's a lot of sci-fi creatures. You could look at it and understand how it lives kind of in a way. Like you could yeah. look at the xenomorph and you'd be like, okay, it has two arms, two legs, a tail. Like it has a head. Like I can under, yeah. it's horrifying, but like I can understand how it is a living animal. Yes. Um, the thing, no. Fear of the all. unknown. And yeah. it's what makes Lovecraft, Lovecraft's creatures so terrifying. This like, you know, you, you could just this idea of this like amorphous like blob of like teeth and eyes and tentacles. It's just like sometimes you can get into a really cartoonish territory with that kind of design that wouldn't be very effective. 
but I think the way that Lovecraft does it and the way that this movie kind of gives you a glimpse of like what this creature can do is very effective. Yeah, and I, I think the thing works for two other reasons. Uh, yeah. We've talked about both. I think one is there's there's there are no subplots. It is all it is yes. everything is very stripped away to this one idea, which also thinking about it is something that uh, the Babadook kind of does, um, and my number one uh, horror film does as well. I think horror works when like get everything out of the way, right? Anything that doesn't have to do with um, the horror can kind of fall to the wayside. Which is where I think something like Midsummer versus Hereditary, like I think Midsummer has more uh, subplot. I think yes. Hereditary has far less subplot. Exactly. Um, and I think maybe that might be why. You and subplot isn't higher. always bad. But Not like, always. The fact no. that the thing doesn't have it makes the the real moments of terror land so much more effectively because you are not. There's no. There's nothing else to focus on other I than think, this singular threat. Exactly. And I think the other thing that makes the thing so good is that um, horror also depends a lot on, you know, our willingness to root for the main characters. Right. right? If we, we want to care about them, um, otherwise we don't care if they're going to die. In The Thing, we, we get kind of a, a miracle in horror movies where we get both the characters being smart and making smart decisions. Yes. Which is very satisfying to see. But on the other hand, at the exact same time, we get the fact that the thing is always one step ahead of them. Yep. Always. Like they're even though they're doing these smart things, even though they're figuring things out, like it is never it is never fast enough and it is never good enough. Right. And again, spoiler alert, if you get to the end of the movie, you realize that the thing may still be one step ahead. Oh, I yes. The, the well, thing we is, could talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. how we interpret the ending, but yeah. Um what's your number one? Yeah, so my number one, I did think about the thing. I for number one, I've always said this is the scariest movie to me. Uh, I, I and I have seen it mul- many times. I've seen it. I saw it in the theaters a couple times. Uh, I've seen it since uh, multiple times at home. I think it genuinely, truly uh, frightens me. I think both the film works uh, in a frightening way, uh, but I also think the idea behind it is very frightening. Uh, and that is the 2008 film The Strangers, uh, written and directed I, by Brian Bertino. I I love that you picked this. I as well, as well as they feel like I know you. I don't think I knew that this would have ever been in your top three. But yeah, this is yeah. number one. This is number one for me. Um, I saw it in theaters too, and it was just unbearable, and in, in, in a good way. Yes. Uh, tell yeah. T- talk to me more about um, this. So again, it's it's this is a horror film that is stripped away of any subplot, right? There's maybe kind of you might consider it to be one subplot, but um, it's about a couple uh, that comes home from a wedding. Uh, the it's Scott Speedman, and Liv Tyler. Um, I don't know what their names are. I just call them yeah. Scott Speedman, and Liv Tyler. Same. Um, at the wedding, Scott Speedman has uh, had proposed to Liv Tyler, and she had turned him down. Um, and so that's kind of the emotional core that's going on with these two. Uh, but also on the the just surface level, um, they're staying at a vacation home that is kind of in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere for this wedding. Um, and uh, randomly, a group of strangers uh, knocks on their door, sees that they are home, um, and decides to basically fuck with them, uh, torture them, and kill them. Um, and that is the movie. Yep. Um, and, you know, the idea of... You know, it kind of has everything being isolated. Um, the idea that these people aren't mentally ill, 
They're not um, serving any greater purpose. There's no reason why they're doing this. They're just thrill killers, um, and that is a real thing. That is that yep. happens. Um, there's nothing you can do about it, right? The their the phones are cut off. They're isolated. Other things happen that are very disturbing that I, I maybe won't spoil, but yep. um, it's just from beginning to end, relentless like dread. Um, I definitely don't think it's like Oscar worthy, nothing like that. But in terms of just a frightening concept, a very simple frightening concept of kind of being stuck in, in a home in the middle of nowhere alone with people just who just want to terrorize and kill you. I think this movie delivers on that concept basically in every possible way it could. Yeah. I, I, I love that this is your number one. I, I only have two things to, to add to that. Number one would be this has moments like hereditary um, of expert use of horror with no music or sound. Yes. Um, yes. So I think the most terrifying moments or moments of this movie are in a moment where there's no sound at all. No yes. music. No musical cue, nothing. Um, and I remember being in the theater. I, I, I'm just going to say, she's in the foreground, he's in the background. I think you yes. know what I'm talking about. Oh, yep, a, a woman yep. in our theater screamed. Uh-huh. Just yeah. screamed. And, and none of, no, like, I, I would have thought people were going to laugh. No. We no. were so strapped in and terrified that we we, we didn't even react. Um, I thought this one was going to have a bag attack. Uh, this is the, the second thing I was going to mention is that this is an actually a great example of how close you can get to my own personal line of scare me and upset me. Because yeah. the idea yep. of thrill killers and really how this movie ends is very upsetting to me. Well, and and the, should we just spoil it? The thing that happens yes. in the middle. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know they, their phones have been cut off. They they don't have any help. They're trapped in this home. Um, Scott Speedman has managed to get the the only gun in the house and has barricaded himself in a room. Um, unbeknownst to them, because again, they had been at a wedding that night. Um, one of their friends from the wedding, um, shows up to their home on, you know, unexpected, unannounced, um, unexpected and unannounced to either the thrill killers Isn't it or his brother? Scott Speedman. Maybe it's his maybe friend. It's either his remember. friend or his brother. Okay. Uh, p- played by, uh, Dennis from it's always sunny yep. before, before it's always sunny, which is very strange to me to watch it now. But, um, and then Scott Speedman accidentally murders him, um, thinking that he is, you know, uh, one of the strangers come to kill him, very which upsetting. is also very, very, very upsetting. Um, you know, again, it's like, you know, it's it's almost like the thing. It's like, right, it's like one step forward, two steps back. It's like, okay, we our characters get this upper hand, they get this gun, they barricade themselves, and then, boom, like this horrible thing happens that completely knocks the wind out of their sails, completely dry. It's, it's just... Again, it takes that concept. What are all the worst, most disturbing, awful things that could happen to you in this situation? Uh, and they they lean into it. Yeah. Yep. And I think this is... And So I don't know if you've seen the movie Funny Games. Um, I have not. That is an example of being on the wrong side of the line of thrill kills. Uh, d- deeply upsetting horror movie about thrill, ki- thrill killers. Um. Maybe check it out. Maybe don't. Honestly, it's very it's rough. Um, on the other side of that line, uh, I also would just maybe honorable mention throw out movies like Hush or Your Next, mm. um, things like that. I mean, th- this is a this is an interesting genre to me personally, in just in how it walks that line. Um, but yeah, th- this is this was a very effective horror movie for me. Yeah, I'm absolutely. so glad that it's on your your list. Um, 
My number one, and I really don't want to talk about this one that much. I think we're going to do an episode on it at some point. I mean, I insist on it. My number one is The Shining. Um, okay. It's, it's always been my number one, I think, ever since I saw it. Um, I saw it young, and it has never left me, ever. Uh, I use it as an example of how to do effective atmosphere in horror, how to how it, like the camera movements and camera work in general um, – can be used to make a just a empty space feel so scary and some of the some of the ter- most terrifying moments i think of the shining are not of um you know jack nicholson's character going mad um or threatening his family it, it, it's just it's sometimes empty hallways it's just it's it's ominous music in an empty hallway and w- knowing what like you eventually find out about the hotel's history it's and what like you know what's happening what you know the kind of madness that's at work here it's it's just and I don't know I, I really do think a lot of that is a lot of this is attributable to Stanley Kubrick and I've read The Shining a couple times I think it's a very good book um I think that there are things that Kubrick did differently that I I think the book actually is better in terms of like giving certain people a better character arc but I think that the choices that Stanley Kubrick made to make it be more fully a, a a horror movie with like really an irredeemable protagonist, we're not really protagonist, but just like the you know the antagonist of the film that's kind of driven mad. I, I I think that he made a lot of great changes, and I think that Stanley Kubrick added a dimension of horror to this that you could not get from a non visual medium. I yeah, I fully agree. Um, the shots, the tension. I also just think the idea that like um, watching this, you know, it's it's a dad turning on his family. You know, like it's a dad. Like that's who he is, really. Yeah. Like he's a dad. He's a husband, and that's like the you know the kind of the like real life horror of it is you know like it's kind of domestic. It starts as like domestic abuse before it turns into like yep. true like murder and madness, and like that's really disturbing as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we get to our uh, top five horror sequences? Yeah. Do we? Well, uh, just thinking about time. Do we want to do top five or do we do top three? I would Ooh, be more interesting. Um, then how about let's let you know? Yeah. All right. Let's pivot and do that. Um, I, well, I, I guess how about this? Why don't we just name our four and five without talking about them? How about that? Do you have a four uh, and five? I do have a four and five, uh, but why don't you start? So, so I guess I'll, I'm going to do this really quickly. My honorable mention here is where the Colonel goes crazy in Metal Gear Solid 2, which is not a horror game, um, but it is a game that I was playing with some friends. And it was way too late at night, and it started to really fuck with my head, and I just recommend playing this game in general. Um, that sequence is particularly unnerving. Um, my number five is a little bit of a cheat. It's not a video game. It is a creepypasta inspired by a video game. Uh, it is the <laughs> Ben Drowned oh, creepypasta. Oh, come on. Come uh, on. yeah, I know it's cheating. Um, okay. Can you give us a little bit of the background on that so people know what you're talking about? Uh, they, it, it is a, it is a horror short story, um, about a cartridge of Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, which is haunted by a boy named Ben, uh, who allegedly drowned or a, a, a you know, a real boy named Ben who drowned. Um, and there are many moments in this that are very terrifying. One of which, and this is all I wrote down. I put the rever- the song of healing being played in reverse. It, I, I still think about it 
to this day. And this is like, this is like almost 11 years old, if not exactly 11 years old of a story um, of, of or something. It's been that long since I've seen it and, and read it. And it is, uh, it's again, so this was a, it's a short story, a horror short story that is accompanied by doctored video game footage from the Majora's Mask to add to the creepiness. Um, and man, is it effective. Uh, I know it's cheating, but I couldn't help but put it down. Fair enough. Uh, and then before you do your honorable mention four and five, my number four is the opening like 20, 15 to 20 minutes of Resident Evil 7. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, my four and five, uh, a little bit, uh, like one is kind of boring and standard and one is a little odd. Uh, my boring and standard one is um, Resident Evil 1. And again, I was just going with what... I almost what, had that too. Yeah, I was just going up with what kind of bubbles up. Um, and again, I will kind of never forget playing Resident Evil 1 when I was a kid for the very first time. Yeah. Um, and confronting the zombies... And um, just the first time you fight a zombie, kind of realizing that you were trapped inside of the tank controls yeah. and kind of almost, but, but truly, like, I think it's almost the perfect marriage of um, like gameplay conceit with mm-hmm. actual horror uh, like element, because think about how many times in a horror, like in a dream you have, you, you, you try to run, but you can't. Yep. Resident Evil 1, the tank controls, the first time you encounter a zombie, it's coming at you, you're trying to like it essentially creates that feeling. Yeah. Like you're terrified, you run you want to run away, you can't really, like you're trying to figure it out but you can't like in the game up to that point, you've only been playing for like maybe a couple minutes like at most yes. and you've just barely gotten used to how moving works and then they throw this at you, this encounter with a zombie. And like I ran away, you know, like yeah. I, I, you know now later, like you can kill him, and like it's possible, but just that first encounter as a little kid, being like, oh shit, like and trying to get away and not being able to do it, like mm-hmm. I think that's that's I mean that's horror right there, right? I, I'm all for tank controls in those old school Resident Evil games. I think they add to the horror. Um, the other thing that I will throw on here as an honorable mention, again, kind of weird, non-traditional, but um, I would say the ending of Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, um, awesome. When yeah. you kind of find, when all the pieces kind of click into place in terms of like what has actually been going on and what you have actually been being asked to do. Yeah. Um, I think that's both extremely sad. Like I think it's yeah. existentially extremely sad, but it's also very frightening yeah, um, because again, it's that Lovecraftian like we don't we have no idea what's going to happen next. We have no idea what has become of our main character, like how much of who he is is right. himself anymore, and how much is this kind of completely other thing. So uh, I will I will put that in the an music. Yeah, the the music kind of at, at gets a different kind of like horror tone to it. Also, it's very upsetting. It is very upsetting. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, my number three is something you probably find on a lot of lists that if you like Google scariest video game moments, um, it is the invisible creature in the basement and in the game Amnesia, the Dark Descent. Okay. Um, have you played it? I, uh, those are, so the Amnesia collection was free on PlayStation Plus and yep. I definitely downloaded it. I have not yet jumped into it. I have not played, um, the other two, uh, Machine for Pigs and I forgot what the other one's called. My brother has, he says they're, I think he likes them, but I think this is his favorite. Um, well, you know what? I, that's, that's okay. I, I don't mind mentioning it and not going into more detail. I don't know if I want to, unless you know about this already, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to spoil it for you. Okay. 
yeah, I'm just not, I'm not going to say anything. There, there is an invisible creature in Amnesia that, it, that you encounter at a certain point, and I'll all say is just my experience. I played this on PC many years ago with noise-canceling headphones on oh, and the sound blasting, <laughs> and it was... I mean, I played this whole game like that, right. and it was all just terrifying uh this was the the most just like heart poundingly terrifying sequence in the game fair enough fair yeah. enough um all right so we at these are number three right we're going into a little yeah. more detail okay three so three, for yeah. my number three um i'm going to put the boys of silence sequence slash the sanitarium sequence sequence from bioshock infinite Oh, I've never played Bioshock Infinite, but I don't mind you spoiling it for me because I, at some one point or another, have probably looked up the Wikipedia summary. Um, you probably have. I will not fully spoil it. Okay. Um, but I will say, uh, so this this part of the game takes place where your character has kind of jumped in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes this particularly scary to me is not necessarily like the jump scares of the Boys of Silence. They're very uh, they're a very unsettling enemy. There are these vaguely like George Washington looking creatures uh with like big ear <laughs> like earphones terrifying and they're yeah they're very scary they're sound sensitive so you have to be very it's a stealth uh section which yeah. i don't always love uh but being caught by them is especially terrifying but uh i think the sequence on top of that does that that, that thing we mentioned earlier where it marries like you know very over-the-top horror elements with like a very grounded thing like you are exploring this abandoned sanitarium because a character from the game has been basically abandoned there okay uh and who abandoned her and why i find very um very deeply unsettling and disturbing just on a on a on a very human level um so i I think the boys of silence the sanitarium sequence from bioshock infinite not a great game not a perfect game has a lot of problems plot wise gameplay wise I, i still like it quite a bit um, but I think this sequence, particularly both um, in a very visceral horror way, but also on a uh, subtextual like relationship level, is also very disturbing and scary. Okay. Yep. What's uh, What's your number two? Uh, my number two is um, the the people who are ascended, particularly False Iosefka in Bloodborne. I love that. Nice. Yeah, and yeah. so what? What is what is scary about? And let's we'll we'll pick Iosefka particularly, but we could yeah. also do um, is Annalise is that her name the 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 prostitute or I'm sorry yes. the sex worker uh, who later becomes <laughs> impregnated with a great one. Uh, I think that's her name. Yeah. So we could take either of them, but I'll pick on uh, fake Iosefka particularly. Um, I think what is terrifying about like Lovecraft uh, and kind of. Um, cosmic horror mm-hmm. is the idea that these cosmic entities are so vastly unknowable and so far beyond any gauge we have of, of what is normal or what cognition even looks like. And so hearing I, the performance, what she says, her body language, she is on all fours, like an animal, like giving, which is a real way that humans would give birth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, you know, in ancient times they would give on birth on all fours, like an animal. And just what she's saying that she, she, she doesn't even understand what's coming. She's so like blinded by this elder gods, like just the level that he's operating on is so far beyond her. She has no concept that she is being basically used as an incubator for this, yeah. like this thing that is also beyond her ability to comprehend this like child she has produced. 
she thinks that she is like getting something out of this, this like wild transcendence, but really all it's done is broken her mind. Yeah. Um, and you basically just kill her um, and put her out of her misery. Yep. It's so upsetting that, I mean, all of the characters in that game in Bloodborne that are seeking this transcendence, this higher knowledge, they think that it will save them from their circumstances. They think that it will give them higher insight, the ability to govern better or to yep. see further. And all it does, like they, they're so unable to see that all it's doing is completely corrupting and destroying them. Yep. Um, and that I think is, is a very scary, scary idea. Fake Yosefka um, also is seeking that transcendence, right? They, yeah, they, well, I mean, really every character in the game is seeking transcendence of one kind or another. Um, she is seeking it in this very specific way. Um, I also think it's, it's disturbing in terms of like, she's a mother, right? Like, yeah. um, her and Annalise, you think of motherhood as, as nurturing and, and no, it's, it's almost like the, the film alien, right? Like, um, after birth, like the baby eats you. Right. That's that's kind of what happens in Alien. And that's kind of the idea here. Yeah. Like, there is not you are not going to mother this creature like this creature at the very under the best of circumstances will immediately turn on you and give you a painless death by eating you. Yeah. Right. And that's under the best of circumstances. Yeah. Um, like this thing that you are giving birth to will drive will completely break your mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, wait, I'm just trying to. Is it Ariana and Elisa? I'm so confused. Ariana, now. yeah, Ari- you're right. It, it is. Ariana. It is. It's Ariana. I was um, confused. The Elisa uh, is the is the queen of the. Violence. Yes, is yes, that right? Yes, yes, okay. yeah. Or Annalise, Annalise. I should Annalise. Say. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, that was that was like that was it was bothering me. But yeah, I love I love that pick. Um, the idea of being uh, impregnated by the knowledge you sought in a way is pretty pretty uh, twisted. Yeah, and just her vocal performance, just she's so sure that she's so close to what she was seeking, yeah. but at the same time, it's like agonizing and like destroying her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's your number number two? My number two and my number one are both examples of that kind of, a horror that, and I could really talk for days about this, the, 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 it's, it's kind of building off what you said earlier about kind of like the world is kind of how it is, but something's not right. Um. Both of these, it's a little bit more than that. It's a little more obvious that things aren't right on multiple different levels. Um, but it's when you play with space in a certain way, um, the kind of, sp- like, you know, you're familiar with the kind of space. Like to me, it's kind of horrifying to think that you could go to a door and open it thinking that you're going to walk into the room that you know that that door is going to open to and it opens to something else. That, to me, and that's a really simplistic example of something that really haunts me. Um, if that were to happen to me, and especially when I kind of witness it happen to other people in horror movies or in games. So the number two that I have is the staircase and basement of the Silent Hill Historical Society Museum in Silent Hill 2. Um, Silent Hill 2 is one of my favorite games, if not or favorite horror, movie, horror games, if not my favorite horror game of all time. Um, all I'll say about it is that you, you know, you're exploring the town, town of Silent Hill and you stumble into this museum and you find a hole and you enter it and you start going down this staircase and you're in this kind of like really dark tunnel. You only have your flashlight and the stairs just keep going down 
and down and down and down to the point where you're like, this doesn't make sense, like, in space, like, not geographically, but, like, this was, like, on, like, level, this was on, like, ground level, and this staircase, like, where is it going? You know, like it, it, it's an it's not it's not like an impossibly long staircase, but almost like that. Like it's not too it, it's it's far it's close enough to being far out of like you know what I mean. I'm trying to say it's, like it's, um it's like it's an illogical space. I mean yes. it's 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 kind that, of what Lovecraft does with um like yes. impossible geometry. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Those yeah. those are the words I was searching for. Yes, exactly. And eventually you find, like, at the bottom, there's a, another hole that, like, you drop down into it, and then you drop down again, and you're eventually just in this prison. And I'm pretty sure when you see the prison in, like, the map later, it is, not only is it, I think, above an elevation where this museum is, but even, like, if you're thinking about this prison of having, like, basement cells, it just doesn't make sense. It's an illogical space how this staircase led to that. And I, when I play this for the first time, again, kind of headphones on volume blasting, uh, terrifying. And then very soon after I entered the prison, like a, one of my former roommates, like tapped me on the shoulder and I like threw my controller at the screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I have never played a single silent Hill game. If you're going to play one, play that one. I think a lot well, of people Well, and that's agree. the thing. I, I've Everything I've heard has been kind of the very originals are the best, like one, two, three. Um, I just wish, like, is is there, uh, like, a remaster or, like, an updated way to play any of those? Not easily accessible. There's, there was a Silent Hill 2 and 3 remaster that came out for PlayStation 3. So if you want to bust oh. out a PlayStation 3 and I download do not that. Own or a actually, 3. Oh, well, you could, actually, you could probably borrow mine, and I have the disc. But... I there were some there were some issues graphically with those. I won't go into it that much. We could talk about it another time. But like there's I, I would recommend two and three. One I've never played, but I've heard actually that it is not that great. Um but that's not to say I won't eventually try it. Uh, I do recommend that game. Um they yeah, two and three I think particularly have a very uh great reputation in terms of like um, Resident Evil likes that aren't actually like Resident Evil and yes. that actually like succeed on their own terms, yes. um, which is rare, right? There have been yeah. lots of Resident Evil likes, but not all of them have taken. So I, I absolutely do one day want to experience at least one Silent Hill game. Both games, both two and three, are flawed. Are, are definitely flawed games, especially when it comes to combat. But I think you can overlook a lot of its flaws because it's, it does so much else very effectively. And that's what I would be looking for, right? I wouldn't be looking to play Silent Hill for the like super satisfying combat. I'd be looking for yeah. like the weird trippy ideas and like the exactly. you know disturbing uh, imagery stuff like that. So yep. Um, so I guess that brings me to my number one, which is uh, PT playable okay. teaser. Um, this is another one where it's like if you just did like Google the uh, you know what's the scariest video game ever, this would often be near or at the top, and for good reason. Uh, I didn't put a particular moment. I have a couple to mention, though. I put all of it because it's very sh- <laughs> it's, it's very short, and it is really just kind of one sequence. And this is the single most terrifying video game I've ever p- played. Video game experience, horror experience I've ever had. It, I would say this can this might have, in terms of how it affected me, maybe topped any horror movie I've ever seen. Um. You are in first person. Uh, you are walking around a very simple but very dimly lit suburban home. 
in seemingly infinite hallways on a seemingly infinite loop. Things change kind of each time you do it. I mean, you, you walk through this hallway, you look around, you observe things different times. And maybe when you reach the end, you open a door and you end up in a room. Then you open that door again and you're suddenly back in the hallway where you started. And it's, it's an impossible space. And it's like, um, it's, it's uncanny and Lynchian. Yes. Um, I, I've never played it, but I've seen video footage of it, playthroughs. Things, or, so yeah, and like things change every time you kind of walk through, like, you know, one time a radio, you'll hear like the faint crackling of a radio story talking about parents who murdered their baby. Uh, another time you hear the sound of faint crying, that cry may get lo- louder and louder. You might look through a crack and you see someone getting murdered. Uh, you might see a ghost. Um, some, you know, there's a lamp, a single lamp in the hallway, and it's suddenly replaced with a red lamp when you open the door, and you, suddenly your vision is all distorted, and you're moving like at twice your speed, and none of that's explained, none of it, and it's incredibly unnerving and deeply, deeply affecting, and I tried my, I, I went one time like I went home for like Christmas or Thanksgiving, and I my brother put it on his VR set. Oh God! And I put it on, and I I couldn't do it. And I was like, you, I was like, you do it. And he's like, no, I can't do it. I don't think I don't think he or I or my other brother had ever even finished the game on VR because it was too it was too impossible. Um, I am not doing it justice. I highly recommend. And it's I think it's kind of unplayable at this point. It is. Um, and unless, I, yeah, I'll, I'll say I never actually got the chance to actually play it in my hands but i will say i i did watch uh, you can find it on youtube um, i was gonna like say i recommend it. watching it turn the lights off yeah watch it. i would also recommend without finding, commentary exactly yes find a silent uh like let's play or walk through and experience it that way uh which is how i did um yeah. and it's it's it is it's otherworldly it's very it's very yeah. creepy it's very disturbing um yeah you can see some some wild stuff yeah. Um, it's interesting to watch like multiple different ones because people will see different things or in different order. Like it's, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. What's your number one? So my, I, I'm very happy that we did this because I think it shows kind of uh, our own preferences for horror yeah. and things like that. Because I think I went a little more cerebral and I think you went a little more visceral. Um, my number one, and again, it's it's kind of like the Bioshock Infinite thing. This mm-hmm. game. Great game, right? Great game. But yeah. th- the fact that I'm listing part of it as, like, the number one scariest thing ever, like, I, I might need to explain it a little bit. So sure. uh, I'm going to put basically the entire setup of Dead Space 2. I had um, Dead Space 2 as an honorable yes, mention, yes, especially the yes. nursery section. So Dead Space 2, um, I think what what is specifically very frightening to me about the entire setup of Dead Space 2 um, Dead Space 2 is working on a lot of things that I like, right? It's isolation. It's isolation in space, which I also find uh, yeah. super creepy and cool. But also the villains are essentially Scientology, right? Yep. Uh, Unitology, like Unitology is basically like Scientology, but with a very, you know, kind of messed up spin on it. And I think what's so frightening to me about Dead Space 2 is <laughs> almost like the the horrors of democracy, yeah. right? Yeah. In that, like... What's so frightening about that setup is that Unitology has this, like, agenda that, you know, obviously is horrifying, right? They want to, you know, they, they, are, they are obsessed with this artifact. They want to make everyone this, like, frightening dead zombie, th- you know, because they believe that it's, again, it's that, that idea of, like, it's transcendence to them. Yep. Um, and the idea that, like, they're a powerful private religion and therefore, legally, they're allowed to kind of do what they want. And because they're a religion, they are protected. 
and you know we kind of essentially have to put up with them to the point where the, you know they create this horrifying situation and i think this popped up as my number 1 in my mind when i was thinking about it this last week i don't want to i don't want to get political but i think like <laughs> within the last couple of years there has been a segment of our society that basically like is kind of doing terrifying things but we all have to just be okay with it yeah. because like this is a democracy and people are allowed to do certain things because this is a democracy and we just kind of have to sit there and sit on the sidelines and be like I guess this is okay because it has to be but those people could be doing like such dangerous wild things that could fuck us all over in the end. Yeah. But yeah. we just kind of have to accept it because we all agree like we live in a democracy and these are democratic values and we are not allowed to interfere with say religion or say your ability to express your political beliefs like we're not allowed to jump in and tell you that's not okay but who the fuck knows what you're doing with that privilege essentially behind the scenes and i think that is a really scary idea um and a lot of horror is like could this have been stopped right and i think like bloodborne could have been stopped right right um I think, um, you know, I think Bioshock 1 could have been stopped. I think Bioshock Infinite could have been stopped. Like, I think someone could have jumped in and could have prevented this horror. I think, like, really good horror, at least to me, is the horror that, like, you know what? No matter what, there, there was no stopping this. Hereditary, yeah. for example. Like, there yep. was no stopping that. No like, stopping. All, all the dominoes were set up. There was no... Dead Space 2 it feels the same way. It's like... You know what? Based on all these societal circumstances, there was no stopping this. Like you couldn't have stopped unitology without, you know, you know, subverting, you know, dem U.S. democratic ideals. Like there was no stopping them. They had the, the protection of being a religion. They had all this money. They had all this power. And this is what they did with it. And now we have to clean up. Um, <laughs> and I think that's a really messed up idea. I, you definitely did go very cerebral. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was great. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing uh, all of those, and um, thank you to everybody who uh, stuck around for this. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, and uh, um, let's do more lists like this in the future. Um, yeah. You know, obviously not every week, but I think when a particular topic strikes our fancy uh, and we yeah. have a lot to talk about with it, um, we're definitely going to do more of these. I so, think we will. Yeah. Um, thank, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Um, and have a spooky uh, Halloween season out there, guys. Yeah. Don't uh don't eat candy with uh, razor blades in it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Christmas, you know, depending on whenever this comes out. We don't. Know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think we'll release it right away. Probably It'll make more yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But uh, as always, James, yeah. thank you for doing this. It's been yep. a pleasure. Thank you, Aaron. Pleasure. <laughs>